Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. You're listening to Dakota Spotlight Podcast, a production of Forum Communications. My name is James Wollner. It's been a while since I released an episode. We ran into some delays due to illnesses and other factors. It's a new day, though, a new month, and a new year. And finally, this new episode. If you've listened to episode one of Chasing Billy, perhaps you'll recall that I interviewed the sheriff of Clay County, Minnesota, Mark Empting. When I asked him what it would take to get Billy's case solved, he had this to say. As far as what it takes to get it solved, um, I think it's going to take somebody that's got some time to be able to actually dive into the investigation now, familiarizing themselves with all points of the investigation. I, I did just recently hire um an individual, he's going to be working part-time for us, but he's uh, he retired from the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. He had 23 years working with them, most recently in their homicide division, um, and that's what his that's what his job is going to be here now is to look at two or two of our cold cases that we have and see if he can maybe bring some closure to the families. May I ask you if one of those two cases is the William Wolf case? It is, yep. One of the cases he will be looking at is is the William Wolf case. The man that Sheriff Empting hired to look into Billy's murder is named Dan Bauman. In this episode, we're going to meet him and talk about Billy's case. Welcome back to Season 4, Chasing Billy, A Pursuit for Justice. I started out by asking Mr. Bauman a little bit about his background. What initially got me into law enforcement is uh, an association with a sheriff from uh, Cottonwood County, Minnesota, uh, Glenn Ward. Uh, Glenn was uh, uh, respectful, 
and uh, well respected throughout the community. And I tried to emulate him throughout my entire career. Is he still around? Uh, no, he passed on. Dan started his law enforcement career as a police officer in Milner, North Dakota, in 1984. In 1986, he was hired by the Richland County, North Dakota Sheriff's Department. Uh, then in 1989, I was hired by the uh, North Dakota Bureau of Criminal Investigation to work uh, narcotic cases. In 1998, Dan was hired by the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. And then in 2003, I was assigned to homicide investigations. I asked Dan which high-profile cases he's worked on. Well, early on in my uh, career with the BCA, I was assigned to assist, in, and I stress the assist, with uh, the Katie Poyer abduction, Julie Holmquist abduction, and uh, Kelly Jo Larson murder um, throughout the state of Minnesota. Uh, those are pretty high-profile investigations. I was involved with the Cheryl Pendleton homicide with uh, the BCI back in, I believe it was uh, 1996. Since 2003, I've pretty much been involved in, in uh, any of the homicide investigations in West Central Minnesota. I asked Dan Bauman if there was any particular difference between working for the North Dakota BCI or Bureau of Criminal Investigation and the Minnesota BCA, or Bureau of Criminal Apprehension? The primary difference is uh, obviously Minnesota, with the population, has uh, a greater number of violent crimes. And uh, with that, uh, there's more individuals assigned specifically to uh, homicide investigations. How about, Dan, could you tell us about from your perspective, how looking at a cold case is different from what you've done before? Well, with, uh, with our, uh, your standard homicide, if you will, uh, you're uh, reactive uh, in that investigation. Um, you react to the different evidence as, it is, as it's uncovered immediately, whereas you're more proactive with the uh, cold cases. Um, you have to, to actively go out or actively research reports and uh, evidence, and, and you're looking for leads to follow up on. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes. Get the episodes early and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. 
If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. I wanted to ask Dan Bauman about something I've noticed somewhat myself when investigating unanswered questions or mysteries. Sometimes it's just hard to stop thinking about a case or a mystery or a story at the end of the day. Technically, Dan's role in investigating Billy's death is a part-time position. I wondered, is it really possible for him to tune out and turn off thoughts about Billy and the case when he's off work? Well, this is uh, uh, all new to me, uh, being a part-time employee. So, um, uh, you know, obviously you can't just set things down and, and put them away when you're not at, uh, at the office. Uh, so I've got uh, the case file downloaded to my computer at, at home and, and uh, review and research when, uh, uh, when there's no ball games on it. I was curious about how Dan approached a case like this. Had he been to the river where Billy's body was found? Had he sifted through the evidence? Well, you try to, yeah, you try to familiarize yourself as much as you can and uh, with the, the evidence as it presents itself. Uh, you try to take a look at uh, uh, what has changed with the forensics over the, the years. And in this instance, you know, it's, it's considerable. Um, the different things that can be done with uh, potential evidence um, you, you need, yeah, you, you're, well, you're an investigator. You want to go out and you want to see the location. You want to, uh, understand as much about things as you possibly can. And you want to personalize the, uh, the victims, uh, both, uh, the, the deceased and, uh, the family members, um, and you know other fam uh, friends and and so that uh, you understand as much about that individual as you possibly can. I explained to Dan that getting to know Billy was exactly what I had wanted to do, but I also found this to be very challenging. Not that Billy was an enigma or anything. I don't know that he was incredibly secretive or living a double life or anything like that. I believe I've just not found enough people who knew him well enough and were interested in speaking about it. Here is a tiny recap of what people have said about Billy in previous episodes. I think he was a little bit um, uh, introverted, socially introverted a bit, maybe a little. Um, as I remember, he worked, uh, he was uh, on the wrestling team for, for a time. He worked, he was in drama class. And he was a tall kid, blonde hair. Uh, not a bad looking guy, just, uh, not really, not really sociable, not really, uh, unlikable. Just, uh, so if you've seen him at a, if you've seen him at a party, he was just going to give you a head nod, you know, what's up and that'll be about it. And when we, when we were together, we just kind of hung out really. It wasn't no, no getting in trouble or anything that I'm aware of. So Billy, um, would sell dime bags out in the parking lot. That's um, like a little bit of marijuana, four or five joints worth. Super friendly, and um, I thought he was really cute. Um, so he was tall and I think broad-shouldered. Um, I think his eyes were like the, 
Scandinavian green or blue, hair blonde and feathered back. Um, I think he had like the teardrop glasses if, if he wore them. Um, he was always clean. Um, he was just always friendly. You could hear him laugh across a room. If you were at the depot and you were looking for Billy, you would know where to find him by following that laugh. I asked Dan what he had learned about Billy. Who was Billy Wolf? Billy was a regular guy, uh, an individual not different than most of us in that uh, uh, he was out there. He was, uh, uh, you know, 21 years old or or thereabouts, and and he was making the same mistakes that uh, a lot of us make. He was a friendly guy. Uh, People liked him. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to find negative stuff other than, you know, he drank a little too much. He, he maybe used some controlled substances and maybe hung out with some of the wrong people. Are you able to tell us, uh, if you know, if he used any other drugs besides marijuana? I, I think like any other, uh, individual that age, He experimented with some other drugs. One of the mysteries or unanswered questions I've had about Billy Wolf has been, how much was he involved in the drug trade? We've heard that he sold dime bags, small amounts of marijuana. But elsewhere I've read that maybe Billy was not quite as low level as investigators originally thought. I asked Dan if he could give us any insight. Yeah, we, we don't we don't know that he was, uh, you know, fr- from the looks of things, from uh, what I know about uh, who he was. Uh, you know, he certainly was wasn't uh, a high level drug dealer. Obviously, all cases are unique. Is there anything about Billy's case um, that you consider to be different or unique? There's a lot of things that you don't see in many of the investigations, uh, primarily the, uh, the violence, um, or, or at least the, well, he was cut in half, and I haven't seen much of that over the years. Speaking of the gruesome manner Billy's body was treated, being cut in half, I learned something early on while researching Billy's murder. Over the decades, there's been a story floating around about how he was cut in half. The story, or it might be more of an urban legend at this point, is that Billy's body might have been frozen first and then cut in a meat processing plant or other location with access to industrial saws. In fact, since starting chasing Billy... I've received at least two emails that paint this picture. Billy was taken to a meat processing plant, and a saw was used to cut him in half. This story most likely originated from a statement that Sheriff Larry Costello made back in the day. In an article in the Forum of Fargo-Moorhead, Sheriff Costello was quoted as saying, It had to be done with some type of band saw or something that made one swath when it went through. Certainly, these stories about the meat processing plant grew out of this quote from this news article. 
However, some sources have been refuting Larry Costello's description of how the body was severed. For example, in a book titled Prairie Murders, a book about three Fargo-area homicides, including Billy's murder, the author, Robert Dodge, states that law enforcement officer he spoke with said more or less the opposite, that the cut was not a clean cut at all, but something likely performed with a knife. I asked Dan Bauman if he could set the story straight for us. Well, uh, the evidence does not indicate that uh, that he was cut with a, uh, like an electric saw of any type. I've never seen the police file for Billy Wolf's case. So far, nobody's been willing to let me take a peek at it. But one thing that's been on my mind is, well, were any mistakes made in the investigation, or was there anything that could have been done differently? Which is a silly question in a way, because of course things could have been done differently. We can say that about just about anything in our lives. We're human, we make mistakes, and hopefully we learn from them. I wanted to ask Dan Bauman what he thought could have been done differently back in the day. To put things in perspective, though, we need to remember that in 1978, law enforcement agencies and society in general operated in a fashion much different than today. I mean, this was before personal computers were readily available, before the internet, before cell phones, before digital cameras. Well, yeah, and the last thing I want to be is disrespectful to any of the investigators that were involved in the investigation. They uh, they they did a, an incredible job, especially with everything that was going on at that uh, uh, time frame. In hindsight, though, Dan acknowledged that there was something that was just very difficult to deal with back in 1978. Remember, Billy's body was found floating in the Red River, literally the state line between North Dakota and Minnesota. For that reason, several law enforcement agencies in both states were involved at the state, county, and city level. Even the FBI got in on it, he said. And back then, the best methods and processes for coordinating such an investigation across so many agencies, were yet to be implemented, or maybe even invented yet. You know, dealing with multiple agencies and, uh, and the information that's coming in and the volume of information that's coming in is that you need to have somebody scrutinizing that information as it's coming in and directing the investigation and uh, maybe not being as hands-on as, uh, as they would like to be, but being more a director of the investigation. And I, I think that was an issue uh, with this, that um, nobody was scrutinizing the reports as they were coming in. In other words, if we could turn back time to 1978, which we can't, what we'd want to do is apply modern processes to dealing with many investigative agencies, all collaborating on one case. I asked Dan Bauman how his current investigation is coming along. Did he get any tips or phone calls yet? Well, we haven't received any calls. I've spent most of my time reviewing the reports and uh, uh, and scrutinizing the information that uh, that we have. In fact, this is not the first time Dan Bauman has looked at the Billy Wolf case. 
as a bureau agent, I, I did assist uh, Clay County for a period of time in uh, 2003-2005 with, uh, with looking at the investigation. So uh, I was familiar with it, but uh, it's been, you know, 15 years since I, so I've, I've spent a lot of time reviewing information. Uh, I reached out to the family and uh, met with Michael. Just for our listeners, can you explain who Michael is? Michael is the younger brother of uh, Billy Wolf. Wow, so you've met with him. Just, just to advise them of... Uh, uh, my participation in the investigation, and uh, uh, they advised that they had been uh, following your podcast. And maybe that's something you've noticed, that I've not interviewed any of Billy's family. I have reached out to some of them, and I even spoke with one of Billy's siblings on the phone, but so far they've not agreed to an interview. Dan Bauman had this very important insight into perhaps why Billy's family feels this way. There's a reluctance um, of them to participate uh, in the investigation with law enforcement, specifically because they were kind of victimized early on in the investigation, they, they, uh, uh, you know, William Sr. was indicted, and uh, it was a difficult time for the entire family, and they, they remember that, and they were, they were treated not as witnesses at times, uh, they were, they were suspects, and rightfully so, you know, with the information that they had at the time. Yeah, I can imagine that was very, I mean, they not only lost Billy, but then they were immediately, um, as you say, suspects, which was a question I had for you. Is Billy Wolf's father, William Wolf Sr., in any way on your list of suspects today? Nobody from back then can be completely excluded, dude. Will I spend a lot of time focusing on uh, uh, Sr.? Absolutely not. I mentioned earlier about a book titled Prairie Murders by an author named Robert Dodge. The book is about three murders in the Fargo area. The bulk of the book is about the murders of Polly Johnson and Dixie Olson, who were both killed several months before Billy died. There is some interesting information about Billy's case in the book, but also some misprints and incorrect dates. I've spoken with the author, and he even apologized for some of the mistakes he's aware of, and stated that his publisher sent it to print prematurely. But, he says, he feels the main points are accurate. I asked Dan Bauman about the book. Okay, speaking of that book, I'm going to also ask you about this. There's a, sec- there's a chapter in that book, What Happened to Billy, and there's a story about an informant in San Jose, California. He's arrested for something. And then he comes forward with information that he knows about Billy's murder. And I believe Larry Costello, the sheriff at the time, and another individual flew out there, according to the book, flew out there and lie detector tests were apparently taken and everything. In the book, it's, um, 
it's described as quite possibly what did happen. Um, are, are you able to comment on that at all? Well, it's, it's uh, definitely something that we'll follow up on. I asked Dan Bauman what he felt is needed for Billy's case to be solved. We talked about advancements in forensic science. And my listeners would strangle me if I didn't ask this question. Do you have any uh, DNA from that case? Yeah, we really can't uh, get into discussion about, uh, you know, what evidence uh, uh, we have and don't have. And, and uh, 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 you know, again, with the technologies changing, um, they... You know what what they can do right now, they uh, or what they can't do right now, they may be able to do in the future. Because this crime took place over four decades ago, I'm guessing they do not have any DNA, but I'm certainly hoping they do. I'm not sure where they would have gathered DNA. I don't believe there's a murder weapon such as a knife. The only place I can think of they might have gathered the DNA of a perpetrator would have been from the plastic bags that Billy's body was in. And those were floating in the Red River for a few days, way back in 1978. Earlier I've learned, or at least I've been told, that it is strongly believed that there are people alive today who have the information the police need to solve Billy's case. Yeah, well, and that's, that's exactly right. It's, is we need uh, cooperation from potential witnesses to uh, come forward to us. Um, times have changed. Um, yeah, you know, the, the people that were involved aren't, uh, aren't children anymore. They're, um, they're probably don't have the same fears that they did at, uh, at the time. And, uh, and there's people out there that, that their consciences are haunting them. And we, we need them to come forward and uh, and cooperate with us, um, and uh, and help us understand the investigation. Uh, help us understand the leads that we have, and uh, and create new leads. Like the scattered dose of potion 
Thank you so much for listening. To support my work, get early access, listen ad-free, and much more, please consider subscribing to Spotlight Plus. Apple users can even subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app. Learn more about Spotlight Plus at dakotaspotlight.com.